ask you to turn in your Bibles to the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 13. Our focus tonight will be on verses 17 to 19. Children, here are your questions. First, why are leaders in the church called watchmen? Two, how can members of a church help their leaders enjoy serving the church? Three, it is important to pray that everyone in the church works well together. Will you pray that God will continue to bless our church that way? Hebrews chapter 13, verses 17 to 19. This is the word of God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. There ends reading of God's word. Let us pray together. Almighty God, you have spoken to us. You've spoken to us so many different ways throughout history. You've spoken to us so many ways through this letter to the Hebrews. And now as we're nearing the end of this letter, Lord, we thank you that you've given, up, given it to us. We thank you that we can hear your voice breathed out right in this word. What a blessing that is. We pray now as we look at these verses that you would help us to understand more clearly and to respond appropriately to that which we'll hear tonight. Lord, we come to you in the name and in the power of our Lord Jesus. Amen. When the duty of church leaders and the duty of church members mesh together, it's a delightful thing. And that's what we should always strive for in the church. Before we even get to what the author has to say, it's important for us to remember that when we talk about the church, we're talking about God's church, the church of our living God, the head of the church being Jesus Christ, and a church that's filled with the Holy Spirit. Those very things should shape an atmosphere of harmony and unity, where we're focused on the presence of God and the unity that we have and the bond of love and fellowship that we have as the people of God. Um, leaders are called to lead with integrity, and people are called in many places and in this verse to obey and submit to the leadership. Now those two words are very often words that are unsavory concepts for us, to obey and to submit, but understand that God has appointed leaders over the church to guide and direct his church according to his word. And so there are qualifiers. Very obviously, when God calls his people to obey and submit to leaders, he's talking about leaders who have that kind of biblical integrity. There's so many warnings in scripture about false teachers and bad leaders that certainly God is not saying submit to them. Uh, ironically, we are sometimes told to submit to bad earthly leaders, to government leaders who we know are wicked, to a certain degree, that is, when it doesn't cause us to conflict 
with our faith, but in the church, we're called to submit to those leaders that are faithful to God's word. And so there's a, there's a warning against bad teachers, but there's an exhortation that we're to submit to good teachers, to submit and obey. So good leaders. What is a worthy leader? What's a good leader? Well, I would take all of the attributes of Old Testament and New Testament leaders, put them all together, all the things that are described about leaders in the New Testament as far as elders go, and say, there's your picture of a good leader. Maybe it would be a good leader like Moses when he was at his best, or David at his best, the shepherds of Israel when they were at their best. Certainly those attributes of elders are things that have to be kept in place for any leader in the church. Here the emphasis is on watchmen. We're told in this passage that leaders in the church are watchmen. Watchmen, that's great responsibility. Watchmen guard and warn of danger and protect from danger. So we think of maybe two types of watchmen. We think of shepherds. Shepherds are on their watch guarding their sheep. And if they're doing their job, they'll protect their sheep from any harm. If they're slacking off, if they're not guarding their sheep, that's when wolves come in and maim and devour and consume the sheep. And that's why very often in scripture, the watchmen over God's people are called shepherds. Then there's the military sense of those who are standing guard, those who are watching over a village and watching over the other troops maybe as they sleep. And so when they're standing guard, they're ready to alarm the people and get them ready to protect themselves. If they're sleeping, if they're not doing their jobs, that's when the enemy creeps in and prevails and kills the other soldiers and destroys the village. And so you get the sense here of that idea of watchmen. Here we're told that they're watchmen over souls. Watchmen over souls. I appreciated that little statement because it reminds me very plainly that when we're dealing with people, we're dealing with souls, souls that will never die. I'm told that on the, the charters or on the, the logs for people who are on planes and ships, it's counted by souls. There are this many souls on this plane or this many souls on this ship. How much more do we need to be aware of that in the church? We are gathering obviously of bodies, but gathering of souls. Well, these leaders, the leaders in the church, are to focus on souls. It made me think deeper. We spend a lot of time in church dealing with different issues, sometimes emotional issues, and that's okay. And we deal with physical issues. We should be able to take care of people, sort of that holistic sense of caring for people. We spend a lot of time in church trying to make sure everybody's happy. Sadly, sometimes to the, to the uh, loss of care for souls, sometimes at the expense of care for souls. So the leadership needs to remember that their primary duty is to guard souls. What does it mean to guard souls? It means to guard the gospel. It means to make sure that worship is right in the church. It means to make sure that there's a proper means of growth and grace in the church. It means that at times there will need to be correction. At times there will need to call in those who are straying. We read the one passage from Ezekiel 3. Ezekiel 33 gives us a very similar 
statement about what it means to be a good watchman. If you want to turn to Ezekiel chapter 33, uh, this is a good example of what a spiritual watchman is supposed to do. Here we'll just read the first nine verses. They're quite packed. Again, to Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. You see the seriousness of being a watchman for the people of God. Watchmen require great vigilance, require alertness, require a real knowledge of the enemy and the way that enemies work to snatch away God's people. It requires, requires a great deal. It requires personal interaction. But that's where I think that sometimes leadership becomes very tricky. It requires interaction. It requires familiarity, it requires time and interest, it requires the ability to invest in souls to varying degrees, it requires a lot of a true leader in the church, which reminds me how much we ought to respect our devoted leaders. I have to say that when I look at elders uh, who are not paid the way I'm paid, I have a great admiration for them when I consider the devotion that they have for the people of this church, and we ought to always show them that respect and esteem and be very thankful that they're willing to take up this very, this very intense task of watching over your souls, my soul as well. Here's something that I think can make leadership very, very intensive, very intimidating. Do you notice that he says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give account. Those who have to give account. Every watchman reports to someone. And in this case, the someone that every watchman in the church, every leader in the church gives an account to is God himself. It's, it's why the leaders of Israel and Jesus' day got in so much trouble because they failed to watch over the people of Israel in the way that they were supposed to. That when Jesus looked at the people, he looked at the people of Israel as though they were sheep without shepherds. 
If you want to see what that looks like, look at the woes that Jesus levels against the leadership in the Gospels. But every true shepherd desires to do what's right and desires to oversee the souls as best they can. And I have not yet met an elder who doesn't wish that they could do more. But I usually meet elders that are doing all they can. And so we need to be very appreciative of that. So that's the position of the good leader. And there's so much to speak about. Not so long ago, we dealt with the passages having to do with elders and with deacons. But what about the people? What about the people that they oversee? In church, there are some people who are very low maintenance. They just continue on in their Christian life. There are others who are more high maintenance. It's just the nature of humanity. It's the nature of the church. But in our passage, the author reminds us that they're truly beneficiaries when the leadership is faithful and then then when they work well with the leadership. It's a good situation when they work together. When it goes well, both benefit. Both benefit from that relationship. And so we trust that it goes well. When it doesn't go well, something's out of joint. It's helpful for us to remember that we're a body of Christ with many parts. And when something's not going well between the leadership and an individual in the church or individuals in the church, something's out of joint in the body. I don't know if any of you have ever had a joint out of joint. I would imagine that it's not a very pleasant experience. Well, it's not pleasant in the church when we have a body that's out of joint. We're told here that the body of Christ, the people under the leadership, are to be blessings. Blessings to the body and blessings to the leaders. One one thing I appreciate about preaching through books is that no one can accuse me for picking this topic because I have some personal issue or some specific agenda. I can tell you that I don't for a covenant, at least right now. It just so happens we're dealing with this passage, so please don't think that I'm trying to push anything here, but... But people in the church are to be a blessing to the body and a blessing to the leaders. People that make Christian leadership a joy. Make it a joy. Make ministry a joy. And that's the majority of God's people, I'm convinced. Faithful, devout people that the leadership is happy to see when they show up at church. But very frankly, some can make it miserable. Some can make it miserable. And we have to be very careful that we're not those people. I've seen churches abuse people. I've seen them refer to the passage about Moses when the Israelites and there were troublers and they were complaining about Moses and God dealt with the people harshly. I've heard churches that abuse their people use those very passages to kind of lord it over the people. We're going to do what we want and you need to obey because we are ordained by God and you're not. That's a very troublesome thing, but there's also a fair warning there to those who want to be too sharply critical of those that God has legitimately ordained to lead the church. God doesn't take kindly when his leaders are attacked by the people. Some can make church ministry miserable. Now, I want to make it very clear. We are a church, and the church is a church that's made up of sinners, and there are many struggles that we have, even as believers. And so when there's a legitimate struggle 
those kinds of problems are welcomed by pastors and elders and deacons. So the church needs to know that if you have issues you need to deal with, that your pastor and your elders are ready to receive you and your deacons as well within their realm. But there are people who unnecessarily make church life very difficult. There are times when soul issues, in other words, issues dealing with souls are addressed, real issues, and people get offended. When a leader's doing their work and they're trying to help somebody with a sin issue, but they don't want to be helped, they get very offended. And if they get offended enough, they act like a little child who, if they don't get their way, goes to one parent, and one parent says no, and they just go to the other parent, and the other parent says yes. In this case, they keep looking for that other parent. And in an area like ours, saturated with churches, there are a lot of parents out there ready to say yes to any and everybody, no matter what their condition is. And so there are those that that respond to real soul issues when they're addressed that take offense and come against the church, come against the leadership, even slander the church, and even slander the leadership once they're gone or maybe even sometimes while they're still there. But sometimes it's just petty stuff. Petty stuff in the church. I hope I'm not stepping on any toes, but here comes true confessions of a pastor. I don't want to spend much time here. Honestly, I do want to spend a lot of time here, but I won't do that. Confessions of a pastor. Actually, I'm probably confessing on a behalf of a number of pastors, but I admit that there have been times in my ministry when I dreaded seeing certain people walk into the congregation. Maybe the feeling was mutual for them, too. They dreaded seeing me in the pulpit, but there have been times in my ministry when I dreaded to see certain people walk into the church because they were troublemakers. They were hypercritical. They had all kinds of issues with the leadership or some petty issues with the leadership. Pastors usually bear the brunt of whatever issues are in the church. And I'm going to be blunt. Pastors usually bear the brunt. I encouraged one young pastor who was super sensitive to any kind of criticism that he ever got. And children, I told him to kind of be kind of a weird creature. You have to have broad shoulders You have to have thick skin and you have to have feathers like a duck. Broad shoulders to carry the weight of the burden of sometimes unfair criticism. Thick skin so that the things that shouldn't be criticized, those things that aren't legitimate, and you need to receive the legitimate, but aren't penetrating you deeply so that it's affecting your mind and your soul and your ability to ministry. And feathers like a duck so that those things that are really illegitimate just drip right off of your back. Just wash right off of your back. We talk a lot about this. I could tell you stories that would make you laugh and stories that would make you cry. There have been individuals, I'll just give you a few, who watch every step that the pastor makes. One individual literally concerned himself with the way the pastor walked from the back of the church to the pulpit. 
there are stories that people are concerned about how the pastor dresses, how the pastor speaks. Stories where the pastor or elders are never given the benefit of the doubt. I knew that certain members got into my head, sort of like in baseball, you have a pitcher on the mound and the other team's trying to get into the pitcher's head, the opposing team. People getting into my head when I would wake up on a Sunday morning and I'd think to myself about this one individual, what would they think about the tie I'm wearing today? What if they saw the crazy socks that I really want to wear that I never wear to church? What will they think if I take off my jacket? Not lying, I've had people sharply criticize things exactly like that. And it can get into your head. Pastors should always pray when they go to preach, Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, help me. And sometimes that's the only remedy to get those things out of your head. I can tell you that I've been stared down angrily from pews. And I have it easy, I think, easier than a lot of pastors, those glares and those stares. And I'm not saying poor pitiful me, but in the span of my ministry, I have had people that seem to want to oppose me at every turn of my vision in the church. Again, not poor pitiful me. My point is that some people can make it very miserable for the leadership of the church. Don't get me wrong, because I am hugely encouraged, especially by this congregation. But we don't want to be that person who's making it difficult for the leaders to lead. I don't, I don't have any stats on this. I didn't do any surveys. But I'm convinced. I'm convinced that pastors that burn out, if they're truly preachers, they never burn out from preaching too much. They never burn out from teaching God's word. They might burn out from overcommitting themselves in different ways, but I think that one of the main reasons for burnout is criticism and division and strife in the church and people who make it miserable. And they just can't take it anymore. But further, when there's tension between the leadership, especially with the pastor and people in the congregation, it affects the whole body. I hate to use this word negative energy, but I've experienced it myself. And I wish I could remember who it was who talked about it, but they had a label for that dynamic when the preacher's trying to preach, praying for the unction or the power of the Holy Spirit, but there's tension being projected from the congregation. It not only affects the preacher and the individual, but it affects the whole congregation. Corrupting the dynamic of worship, polluting koinonia, the fellowship of God's people. Affects the whole body. So I want to say to us tonight, and I say it to myself, don't be that kid who ruins it for everybody. I don't know if you experienced this, but I remember when I was in elementary school, and I don't necessarily be, remember being that kid, but 
I probably was at times, when some kid would do something that would disrupt the class or something naughty behind the scenes and the teacher would find out and didn't necessarily know who the troublemaker was, so you might remember this, but they would say, nobody gets to go out for recess. Nobody gets to have any fun until that person confesses. And the whole class would sit there. And unless there was a confession, the teacher would not let us have any fun. Don't be that kid that ruins the fun. One of our teachers, and this is a direct quote, said this, It's hard as a teacher when I have to bear down with my authority to compel a student to do their work. It is exhausting as a teacher. They don't gain much from the instruction, so they don't enjoy the energy that comes by eagerly joining with me. It sucks the joy out for me, too. How much more serious is that in God's church? It's a very serious matter what it impacts the church. So someone might say, well, what do I do then if I have issues? If I have questions of integrity of the leadership, of the teacher of the leadership? Well, if there's a personal issue, I think it's very clear you follow Matthew 18. You go to that person. If that's not a possibility and you have an uh, issue with the leader in the church, then you might have to go to your elder. If it's your elder that you have an issue with, you might need to go to another elder. But there's a proper recourse to follow if you have issues in the church. We have family house visitation. When I first came to this church, and I would sit in the session meetings, and we got to the point where we talk about house visitation, it was very often a complaint fest. The elders would most often come with a list of the different complaints, frankly, sometimes pretty petty, about what people said in house visitation. And I thought, it is a proper place for people to express their concerns and the challenges that they face in being a part of this church. But I thought, I hope that the whole sense of house visitation is not so that people can vent their distaste for certain things in the church. There may be a place for that, but what about the whole issue of mutual edification, mutual encouragement, the very thing we're talking about, watching over souls. That's the primary thing that house visitation is supposed to deal with. Now, it's still a good place to bring your concerns, but there again, it's only once a year when we're faithful in doing that. So what do you do? Again, you follow the protocol. Don't be afraid to express your concerns, but do it properly. Go to the person. Go to a leader if need be and express your concerns. But I would say, first examine yourself. First examine yourself to make sure that your concerns are legitimate. Well, I want to come back to blessings because obviously I could spend a lot of time on those who cause problems, but be blessings, be appreciative, be attentive, be trusting, uh, give your leaders the benefit of the doubt so that your leaders may take joy and delight in being your leaders. Apostle Paul says this about the church of Thessalonica. For what is our hope or joy? What is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus? 
at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. You are our glory and joy. I will give an account for the way that I minister to this church. Every leader in this church will give an account. And, and I hope to hear, as they hope to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And it's only by the grace, if I ever hear that, only by the grace of God. But I also want to be able to say, my congregation was my crown and my joy. I'm not an apostle like Paul. But I want to be able to boast before Jesus Christ. My congregation was my crown and my joy. Well, so much is actually at stake. I don't want to ignore this. Just briefly, Paul, Paul, the writer of Hebrews, and it sounds an awful lot like Paul. Verse 18, pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you sooner. Apparently, there were things that were offensive in what the author wrote, and certainly there were for for traditional Jews, for Jews who believed the whole Old Testament covenant, the radical nature of the gospel was offensive. And some of the things that the author writes would have been offensive. And the author wants to be with them in person, and he wants it to go well. He wants it to go well. That there would be that literal reunion, but also that spiritual reunion when they meet together. And so when we realize how much is at stake and that we're the body of Christ, our gatherings should be a refuge, should be an oasis that's extremely different from the world. Where you find edification and joy and pleasure in being with God's people and with the leaders of the church Again, remembering it's God's church and our head is Jesus Christ. We're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. That should shape the atmosphere of this church. Remember that we're in this together. And we're one in Christ. And so we need to be a blessing to one another. So that the leadership will delight in you and that you'll delight in the leadership. May God grant us that grace for this body of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your mercy and your great grace and wisdom in establishing your church and placing people in a body of Christ, even in a local body of Christ like this one. Lord, this body of Christ with so many different personalities, many different character traits, many different needs, many different concerns, many different preferences and convictions. But Lord, we are one body in Christ. And we're so thankful for that. We pray that your spirit of grace would abound here. And that as you've appointed leaders over us, that we would respect them, that we would submit to them, that we would obey them as far as they're worthy and we trust we have worthy leaders. We pray that you would give our leaders all the grace to truly love the body of Christ here as watchmen shepherds that are willing to invest in the people and even lay their lives down as the good shepherd taught us. To be guardians and watchmen over souls, protecting, providing, when necessary, disciplining, 
So Lord, we pray that things would be done in good order here with a glorious measure of grace that you bestow upon your church. We come to you in the name of the King and Head of the Church, Jesus Christ our Lord, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen.